Our reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 1 to 17. Um, This can be found in the Church Bibles on 1128, and if you have the large edition of the same Bible, it's on 1707. And there's a particular focus, has already been said, on our verse for the year. As the Apostle Paul begins his letter written to the Christians in Rome, he reminds them of his authority. He's an apostle sent by God. The gospel he preached was promised in the Old Testament, as it is all about Jesus Christ, our risen Saviour and Lord. Paul has a deep love for the Roman Church and ends his introduction by declaring why he is not ashamed of the gospel. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's longing to visit Rome. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit, is preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had amongst the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel of righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Tom, for reading, and good morning again. Welcome, particularly if you're a visitor. You're really welcome here with us today. 
Um, Let's take just a moment of quiet before we come to look at our verse of the year, verse 16. Just have a moment of quiet for yourself. Heavenly Father, the words of this verse that we have chosen as a church to have as our verse of the year for this year, the words really, really matter, and understanding them has eternal consequences. So please would you be our teacher this morning. Please help each of us as we need to be helped, and please help us to lift our eyes to the Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm really excited about this verse of the year. It happens to be my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Um, I didn't actually choose it, um, but together some of the leadership um, decided this would be a helpful verse for us as a whole church for this year. Uh, If you were here last week, I was unpacking the grace um, that we often say together in church. And I suggested that as a, um, a New Year's resolution for all of us at this church, we need to focus on relationships. Because relationships are crucial for functioning, um, particularly in a church. Uh, and key to our vision as a church, which, as Neil said, we were praying about yesterday, is relationships. Um, so much of our vision is about people, um, hence why the vision of the church is to see lives changed by Christ. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard, but some people have often spoken about the church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. As a church, we don't actually exist for ourselves. We exist for people who aren't yet here. Uh, It's a great joy to see more and more people joining the church fellowship every week. But we exist for people who aren't here. And we particularly exist as a church for people who don't yet know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Well, if we uh, talk about soul winning, that's our verse for the year. If we talk about this verse and we talk about longing that people who don't know Jesus come to understand these truths, how does it make you feel as we start this new year? Uh, Some perhaps are a little scared, maybe. Some of you might be a bit apathetic, just not really bothered. Is that really what we need to be about? Some might think uh, I'm a bit over the top. But I tell you that if we're half-hearted in our Christian faith, particularly in following the Lord Jesus, if we're half-hearted, it will kill us. If we just go through the motions as a church, turning up, hearing a sermon, being friends, and just going home, it will kill us. We have to have a renewed passion day by day for Christ. Because that is what being a church is all about. And this verse is absolutely brilliant for that. I'm just going to really teach this verse. There's a few things left and right of it that will help us understand it. But we want to just give us a chance to reflect on the glorious verse that Romans 1.16 is. And to start with, I just want us to think about the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is deeply relational. I don't know if you notice, if you've got your Bible open, have a look back to chapter 1 verse 1. Uh, Paul describes himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. It's an unusual way to introduce yourself to a group of people, isn't it? He's not defined by the work that he does or by the accent that he has or where he lives. He's defined by his relationship to Christ. That is what's absolutely first and foremost of importance to him. And that word there, servant, is a word thulos, and it means bond slave. What's a bond slave? Don't think slave in terms of oppression, suppression, being told what I have to do out of fear. It's more a sense of a fierce loyalty or obligation. That's how Paul is describing his relationship to Jesus. See, the gospel is relational in that we relate to Christ. He is our saviour. But it's also relational because we relate to one another. Do you notice here, he says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. 
That means a sent one or a messenger. Paul has been given a job, and his job is in relation to other people because he has an amazing message which he's been told by God he needs to proclaim to other people. So the gospel's relational, our relationship with Christ. It's relational, our relationship with each other. And thirdly, notice about the gospel, verse 3. It's about or regarding his son. I think sometimes we think about the gospel simply as a set of propositions or truths, and we like to talk about it. But actually the gospel is a person. Sure, there are truths associated with him, but the gospel is all about Jesus. And we never want to lose sight of that. Now, I want you to cast your mind back to the very first date you ever went on. If you can do that. If it's not going to embarrass you too much. Uh, I'm not going to tell you about my first date, because it would embarrass me too much. But when I was a school teacher, um, the boys in the boarding house often would go occasionally have socials, either with uh, girls from a different school or from girls in a different boarding house. And it was always a, quite a big event. It's kind of like the prom in some schools. What always happens when you're going on your first date and there's a girl or a guy that you're really attracted to and it's the first time you're going to meet them and you want to impress? What happens the morning of the prom? You know, because you've been there. You wake up and there's a big zit on the front of your nose. I don't know why it happens. It must be God's sense of humour. But you've probably woken up before with the big zit on your nose and you know then you go into panic motions. I know the girls would panic, but it's interesting. In the boys' boarding houses, the boys panicked and some of them even resorted to using makeup to cover it up. You know, they try squeezing it, and then it swells up and looks even worse. They hope that some sunshine or air will help it to reduce. It just grows and grows and grows. When you're ashamed of something like that zit that's going to ruin your chances on your first date, what do you do? You cover it up. And when we're ashamed of Jesus, we cover him up. That is why the gospel is not a set of propositions or truths. It's a person. And when you're not ashamed of him, you won't cover him up. Well, you might think it's a bit of an odd thing. Paul, this great apostle, opens up in the beginning of this letter and says, I'm not ashamed. And you think, well, isn't that stating the obvious? Paul wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament letters. He was a great orator. He was very wise. He was called by God. Of course he wasn't ashamed. But let me give you two examples why he would have been possibly ashamed. Firstly, the gospel caused Paul great shame. You look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when you go home. Paul lists a whole series of events that he had to endure. Beatings, being rejected, going hungry, being shipwrecked. You read the list. He has taken a battering because he is loyal to Christ. Paul had a reason to be ashamed of the gospel because the gospel brought him great shame. Second reason he had a, a, a possibility why he might have been ashamed of the gospel. He describes here, do you notice, the gospel as being power. And the power of the gospel, he has to stack up against the power of Rome. And it would look and appear to many to be very, very weak. Uh, Rome was founded in the 8th century BC. So kind of 800 plus years later, it had become a global superpower. It was the centre of the empire. Rome itself had a million inhabitants, which was unheard of in the ancient world. It was seriously powerful. Here are just a few images. That is the extent of the Roman Empire, 99 AD. It was massive. And then there were the Caesars, the emperors who ruled all of that. Their, their faces were on the coins. Massive amount of power. The Colosseum. The Colosseum sat uh, about 800,000, uh, 80,000 people. 
Uh, if you've been to Old Trafford, Man United, that seat's 75,000. This is bigger. If you go to Wembley, the home of English football, it's 90,000, nearly as big. For the ancient world, this is huge, a sign of power. Then you've got the Roman army, about 450,000 soldiers by 200 AD. Hugely powerful, terrifying. And then you've got Roman roads. In Britain alone, over 2,000 miles of Roman roads were built. This is a seriously powerful empire. So when Paul comes along and talks about the power of the gospel, he has to hold the power of the gospel up against the power of Rome that everyone can see and feel. You can see why he often would have felt weak. One of the reasons why he might have declared, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, is probably actually because at times Paul was tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that Paul was this great apostle and that I can never be like him. So I read, I'm not ashamed of the gospel and think, well, that's Paul. It's all very well for him, but I'm ashamed and I couldn't be expected to be anything different. But actually, I think if you get into the New Testament letters and you read Paul, he talks about his weaknesses on almost every page. And so as we look at this one verse this morning, I want to remind each of us of three truths for when we feel weak. And here's the first one. The gospel is powerful. Sure, Rome had military might, it had economic might, it had political might, but it's one thing that Rome, with all its might and power, could not do. It couldn't save anyone. And yet the gospel does save. So when you stack up the power of the gospel versus the power of Rome, actually, there's no comparison. Now, of course, not all will believe. Indeed, when Paul got to Corinth, he took a battering because people said, your gospel, your message is weak. He said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It appears weak. But unbelief doesn't mean that the gospel is, is powerless. Think about that for a moment. Actually, unbelief shows you that the gospel is powerful. Why? Because it shows you that only the gospel can move stubborn, hard hearts. Unbelief is actually a sign that the gospel is powerful. Because if you're sitting here and you know the Lord Jesus, he has done a miracle in your life. That is power. And you and I can't do what he has done in our life. We need the God of the universe to bring life to spiritually dead people. Uh, cast your mind back to Christmas, okay? Uh, we had the Christmas card flyers, and I encourage us not just to stick them through letterboxes, but to actually ring on doorbells, say Merry Christmas, give them a flyer, tell them about the church. Now, some of you would have been great. You'd have been bold witnesses. You'd have done exactly that. And uh, perhaps some of the people who came into the church were the result of your uh, brave witness. But I imagine the majority did something like this. You went up to the house, and you were kind, kind of quietly in your mind thinking... I hope there's no lights on, because then they're not in. You were thinking that, weren't you, some of you? And you tiptoed up to the house, and you saw that there was one of these light sensors, so you had to creep behind, so the light sensor didn't go off. And you popped it through the letterbox, and quietly slipped away. Some of you will have even not even put it all the way through the letterbox. Why? Because the letterbox slams, and they know you're there. You know you did it. You open the letterbox, you tucked it in a little bit, and then you just tiptoed away. Okay? You're laughing, because you've done it. And I've done it. But in that little picture, where's the weakness? The gospel's not weak, but you're weak, and I'm weak. And yet we kid ourselves that the gospel's weak. 
It's not the gospel that's weak, it's us who is weak. But the amazing thing is that God uses weak people all the time. He just wants people who've got hands like this, who say, use me in my weakness. And that is why Paul was an extraordinary man, not because he was a great man, but because he had hands like this, who said, use me in all of my weakness. Uh, Neil's just mentioned about this new rhythm of prayer, and we're really excited about wanting prayer to be at the absolute heart of our church, because... One of the purposes of prayer is it's an expression of our weakness and dependence on God. You need to work through, and one of the questions in your home group this week is thinking through how will you engage with the rhythm of prayer. But I beg you, please, will there be no one here who never comes to any of the prayer meetings? Because we are weak, but the gospel is powerful, and we need the power of God to be at work to bring life to dead people. Well, that's the first thing. The gospel is powerful. But do you notice in the reading too, the gospel is also purposeful. What's its purpose? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation. Uh, if you look at chapter 1, verse 4, at the beginning of the, uh, this uh, letter, Paul talks about the power that rose Jesus from the dead. The purpose of the gospel isn't just a set of truths that we can kind of say, well, that's nice for you, but I'm not bothered. There's a purpose for it. It's about salvation. That's why as a church, we're about winning souls. It's not about us. It's about people who don't yet know Christ. As Paul goes on in chapter 10 of his letter, you might know these verses. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one they've not heard of? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Do you know uh, the word gospel, which comes up in chapter 1, verse 16, appeared three times in the letter before that verse. In verse 1, in verse 9, and in verse 15. And every time the gospel, in its context, when you unpack it, the, the, the context is proclamation. Not just a truth to be discussed or a statement to have a uh, think about. It's about proclamation. Well, why is that so important? We'll have a look down to verse 18 and following. Uh, these are probably some of the hardest words you'll read in the Bible. Uh, partly because they kind of hold a mirror up to your heart and my heart. And they show us what we're really like. So we don't like to listen to them. But what does Paul write? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Friends, we and our world suppress the truth about God. As one writer has put it, we de-God God. We don't acknowledge that he is Lord and we're not. We suppress the truth about our world. We get so comfortable in this world. We think it's our home. We think we'll be here forever. And the blessings that God gives us in creation end up becoming a substitute for him. And we suppress the truth about ourselves because we kid ourselves that actually we're okay and we don't need him and we can do life our own way. These are hard verses, but they hold a mirror up and show us what we're really like. Why every time Paul speaks of the gospel does he speak of proclamation? Because it's in a world where truth has been suppressed that truth needs to be expressed that is why the gospel is to be proclaimed, not just discussed and talked about. 
Let me just read a few verses, a few words from a book that I, I've just written a blog about um, some stuff for the new year on the website, and this is a book that I recommended. Uh, it's pretty stretching, but listen to what this writer helpfully says. Uh, in all Western cultures, the love of God is welcomed, and the holiness of God is given inhospitable treatment. Western nations will tolerate almost anything except a hard truth like this. We therefore need to do a little ground-clearing work because this idea has been so widely misunderstood and so easily caricatured. If we're to understand the biblical teaching, we've got to distinguish between wrath in God and what we so often see in human anger. Human anger is often accompanied by malice, vindictiveness, retaliation, revenge, hatefulness. God's wrath, of course, has no such defilements. It's a pure expression of his holiness. It's not an outburst of irritation or temper. He is none of these things and never could be. His wrath is instead about restoring to an unchallenged position all that is good, pure, true, beautiful and right. And it's about removing everything that challenges his rule because it's bad, impure, rebellious, repugnant or otherwise evil. We can't love the love of God and ignore the holiness of God. And yet in our generation we're doing it more and more. The gospel is powerful. We need God to work if people who are spiritually dead are going to come to life. And the gospel is purposeful because it is about salvation. It's about people's eternity. That's why I prayed what I did at the beginning. This really, really matters. But thirdly, as you look in our verse, the gospel is personal. I said at the beginning that the gospel is all about relationships. As a church, we need to be all about relationships. Do you notice what Paul writes here? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. What's what's all that about? All he's saying is historically the gospel came first to the Jews. They were the people of God. But in Christ, the gospel is now available to all who will believe. So when Paul uses an expression, Jew and Gentile, he's speaking of a continuum, which by definition then means everyone in between. What he's saying here is the gospel is for everyone. You know the guy down the gym, the really big guy with the big tattoos, the earring, who's lifting the really heavy weights. You're a little bit terrified of him, but you're kind of impressed that he's lifting weights almost heavy as you are. That guy... Could you be the one who introduces him to Jesus? You're scared. There's a bloke like that at the gym I go to. I'm scared, but I need to talk to him. Uh, the cleaner in your workplace, perhaps you know his or her name. Maybe you don't, but you just say hello occasionally. Could you be the one who introduces them to Jesus? Um, the girl in your class at school who's a bit of a geek and no one really likes, or the boy in your class who's brilliant at sport, brilliant at drama, gets full marks in every test, the really annoying one. There's one in every class. Could you be the person who introduces them to Jesus? Just a question. But if you don't, then who will? Now, I know not all will believe. I know particularly there are some here in the church for whom this is a really difficult truth because you have been praying for year and year, possibly decades, for someone you love to come to know Christ. And they haven't yet. But can I encourage you, keep praying and keep believing that the gospel is powerful. 
And at days when you can't pray because you're just hurting too much to pray, get your friends around you who can pray and they can support you and encourage you. Because we're in this together. Sure, not all will believe. That's the truth of the Bible, the truth of the gospel, and it's difficult. But Paul does proclaim that it is power for those who will believe. And that gives us great assurance that God will save those he will save. Think about why you might be ashamed of the gospel. I fear often it's our popularity. It's so easy, isn't it, just to do and say things that will make me popular with my friends so that they like me. I think, this is a more subtle one, I think we often hide behind the phrase, I need to build a relationship first. Now, of course, we don't ram the gospel down people's throats. We do it with love. We do it with compassion. We do what is appropriate. But so often we can just say, I need to build the context. I need to build the friendship. And then I'll say something. I promise you, you'll say that for 80 years of your life. You'll constantly be building a relationship with a person. It's true, we need to build relationships, but please never hide behind that as a reason why you're never ever going to speak of Christ to a friend. Because they'll never be the right time. You'll always be waiting for them to ask you the question. It may never come. But if we really believe this, then Jesus won't be like that zit on our nose that we'll be ashamed of and we'll cover up. We'll actually just say to our friends, gently, with joy, can I just share with you this person of Jesus who's changed my life? I'd long for you to come to know who he is. See, if you express yourself in that kind of manner, that's not threatening to anyone. They could just say, no, thank you, and you go, okay. But they might just say, you know, you can tell me about him. Wouldn't that be amazing? See, instead of being ashamed, the alternative is obviously to not be ashamed. Um, I've just been reading through this Christian newspaper this week. Uh, In December, we were preparing for Christmas... 36 Christians were rounded up in a quarry in Kenya and shot in the head because they were not ashamed of the gospel and they refused to recite the Quran. In Uzbekistan, people were fined for meeting in church. Can you imagine each one of you paying a fine when you've got nothing because you were adamant you wanted to meet with other Christians, not ashamed? Uh, One woman in Pakistan who was three months pregnant was stripped naked and beaten because she was reading her Bible. That is the reality for so many Christians in the world. And the only reason that they endure such opposition is because they're not ashamed. Let me just read to you some words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet who was called by God to proclaim, just as we've been thinking of, proclaim. And he took an absolute battering for proclaiming Christ. He was called the weeping prophet because his life was so difficult. And this is what he wrote, and I love this. He's just taken a hammering for God. And he's crying out to God in prayer. And he starts off, he goes, God, you've deceived me, Lord. I have been deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. What he's saying is, I'm being faithful to you, God. I'm speaking of the love of God and the holiness of God. And I'm taking a hammering for it. But then he says, but if I say, all right, well, I won't mention his word. or speak of his name anymore. His word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. 
Indeed, I cannot. That is a picture of the sort of people that we need to pray God will help us to be. That there's such a fire in our heart for Christ that no one can shut us up. That we have to speak with joy about the gospel, who is Jesus. You know, you will be shamed for the gospel, but you don't need to be ashamed of it. Just look at the cross for a moment. Because it was on that cross that your saviour took the shame of the whole world. And it was on that cross that your saviour took your shame and took my shame. If it helps you, I'm just going to read a few words about our saviour. If it helps you to close your eyes just to listen to these words, you could do that. He was despised and rejected by men as one from whom men hide their faces and we esteemed him not. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns they put it on his head and kneeling before him they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews and they spat on him. I will never apologize for being a Christian because the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Let us be a church that never apologizes for knowing Christ. Amen.